Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Tech Disruptors podcast. This is Eileen Siegel, Senior Analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence. I'm excited to be speaking today with Sanjit Biswas, the CEO and co-founder of Samsara. Sanjit, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. So Samsara was started in 2015 and found initial success selling vehicle telematics, cameras, and sensors, along with its cloud-based software to companies primarily with mobile fleets like trucks. It lets customers collect and analyze data from their vehicles, equipment, and sites and service, and helps to digitalize industries with substantial physical operations like transportation, retail, construction, utilities, and energy. The company IPO'd in 2021, raising over $800 million in cash, and sales grew more than 50% last year to over $650 million. Please tell us about your path to co-founding Samsara, perhaps starting with your meeting your co-founder and CTO, John Bickett at MIT. I went to school there too, so I want to know, did you guys just bump into each other on the infinite corridor and start talking inventions? Uh, Not quite, but we did actually start grad school on the same day in the same research lab. So that's how we met over 20 years ago when we were starting our PhD programs at MIT. John and I were about to study computer networking and distributed systems. So that's what we went to go do our doctoral research in. And we were assigned to the same research advisor. So we were basically placed in the same office in the same lab group and became friends over time, actually became roommates and worked on the same research project. So that was the beginning of our partnership. And back then we had no idea we were going to do a startup. We were just there to do research, write papers, teach. But over time, we ended up really getting into this idea of building systems, which ultimately meant building products. And that's what led to a startup company in 2006, which predates Samsara. Yeah. Wow. And could you also talk, I know you guys founded another company before Samsara, Meraki. Could you talk a bit about that company? Sure. So Meraki was basically us taking our PhD research from MIT and putting it in a box so other people could build networks. So our research had been in Wi-Fi and basically building really large-scale Wi-Fi networks in the early 2000s when it was still a brand new technology. In fact, I don't even think it was called Wi-Fi back then. It had a very technical name like Eno211. And we just thought the technology was so compelling that lots and lots of people, millions and hopefully billions of people around the planet would want to use it. And to do that, we'd need to make it easy for people to build networks. So Meraki was essentially a plug-and-play networking solution for very large networks. And it expanded from Wi-Fi to switches to routers and security appliances, all kinds of different building blocks and networks. And then eventually became part of Cisco Systems in 2012. We sold the company and it was a pretty big merger. It was a $1.2 billion merger. So overall, from a first startup experience, it worked out incredibly well. And it was also just uh, incredible in terms of us starting to connect with customers and learn that all this technology could have massive impact on the world. Yeah. And what I find interesting is the similarities of what you did at Meraki and Samsara. So it seems to be the second time where you've succeeded in offering, you know, an easier to deploy solution in a market. So where Meraki and the IT industry, like you said, offered an easy to deploy networking device that could be managed in the cloud and was sold to Cisco. Samsara, similarly from our research, seemed to gain share with an easier-to-use solution in vehicle telematics. So it was founded around the same time as the U.S. electronic logging device mandate for trucks and buses when companies with commercial vehicles needed to monitor and prove compliance with total driving hours of service regulations. For example, you know, a driver can't be on the road for more than 14 consecutive hours. And, and we heard that Samsara was able to displace some older technology in trucks like Trimble's PeopleNet that was harder to upgrade. And that's all background to sort of ask, you know, is there a mindset or a process that you follow to come up with these solutions that are simpler for your customers to use? Because it seems now twice that you've helped design products in a different way than what the competition's doing. 
Yeah, it's interesting the parallels. For us, it's about spending time with the customer and understanding what challenges they're trying to solve. And so back when the Meraki days, it was really around simplifying the deployment of big Wi-Fi networks. And back then you did sort of need a PhD in computer networking to manage a really big kind of campus scale network. You needed to know about RF planning and security and all the kind of cabling details and so on. So we simplified all of that by making it possible to just plug and play and, and operate from the cloud. We basically did something very similar in the in this industry around vehicles. We did start with the trucking industry, you mentioned the US ELD mandate, that was electronic logging device. That applied to a portion of the market, basically long-haul trucking, but it was kind of a catalyst for the industry where they started saying, you know what, maybe using apps and digitizing can help streamline our operations. And that was something that wasn't unique to trucking, by the way. Everyone, whether it's field services or construction or energy utilities, people became interested in it. And so ease of use was a big differentiator for us, but I think it was catalyzed by people starting to think, okay, maybe there's an easier way to do these things in general. Right. That makes a lot of sense. And, you know, along those lines, could you talk about Samsara's land and expand product strategy? So you started with vehicle telematics and then video-based safety. You sell these as three to five-year subscription contracts. Those vehicle fleet-based products are roughly 90% of sales, I believe. But you're also moving into equipment monitoring and site visibility. Would you give a a real-world example of why a customer might start with vehicle telematics, maybe defining what is vehicle telematics for listeners? and how they then might consider some of your other solutions and how it helps them. So maybe I can take a step back and just give you a sense of who these customers are and the types of fleets they operate. So we have a pretty wide range of different customers. Some that may be familiar to your listeners might be AAA here in the US or Frontier Telecommunications or Sunrun Solar. These are all companies with broad, vast physical operations that happen to have vehicles that they use to do their job. And then we also do work with some large trucking companies like Werner Enterprises and Estes and others. So that's kind of the mental image of who we're talking about. Um, Because they all have vehicles, the first thing they're interested in typically is knowing where those vehicles are. And that's what telematics really is. It's, It's this idea of GPS tracking at scale. So you can know in real time where your thousands of vehicles and basically where your employees are terms of serving customers. So that's kind of where we got started. Video-based safety is very closely related to that. So when you're out on the road and many of these customers, their employees are driving eight, 10, 12 hours a day, you are taking on risk. So there's risk of accidents out there. And that risk is something that can actually be managed through coaching. So a lot of these companies, they put their drivers through professional coaching programs to help them with defensive driving and avoiding accidents. But I think as as you probably know, all of us have these bad habits that form specifically things like, you know, checking our smartphones when we're on the road. So our technology helps by coaching drivers and alerting them in real time using AI Is there something that's causing risk? In other words, are they following other drivers too closely on the road or maybe rolling stop signs, coaching workflows that are done on the app and on the web? We're able to reduce that risk. And so that became our second application that's video-based safety. And then uh, over time, what we've done is kind of just kept this conversation going with our customers, figured out what else can we do for them? And we realized these physical operations have all kinds of equipment. So we started putting our tracking devices and applying our workflows to things beyond trucks. And that's the kind of 10% of our revenue that you mentioned. We're about 90% on vehicles, 10% on other, and that's growing for us. And that's actually kind of the longer term vision is how do we bring all of these physical operations into the cloud, digitize all of it, and then make it possible for these customers to see everything in a single platform. And then not just see everything, but also connect it to their other systems. So that's something else that has emerged for us over the years is The value of this data goes beyond just GPS tracking or video-based safety. 
you can do things like pay your employees faster and better by taking all this data into account. So you can connect this to your payroll system. You can share this data with your insurance provider and get reduced premiums. You can tie us into your business intelligence system and make sure you're serving your customers in an optimal way. So that's the fun part about digital transformation is there's so much value in this data. It goes beyond a few apps and we're excited to become the system of records and physical operations so they can see all of this now in one big modern platform. Right. And I'm curious, given all those benefits, is there one that most gets to your customers in the door? You know, is it Are they looking to improve their efficiency for regulatory purposes to reduce insurance premiums? I know you've mentioned a lot of benefits. I'm curious what it is you see customers most coming to you for initially. So we hear about three big focal areas for our customers. Uh, The first is around safety. In physical operations, you tend to have a lot of people, but you also have a lot of heavy equipment and basically occupational risk, right? So, you know, you're on the road a lot or there's just risk of accidents. So whatever they can do to keep their employees safe is something that they'd like to to do out in the field and also reduces their costs. So insurance premiums and those sorts of things. So safety, uh, efficiency is the other big one. All of these physical operation businesses, they're trying to find ways to save time and be more efficient in terms of how they operate. The idea of moving, going digital and moving to workflows in the cloud really speeds things up because it means you're doing less kind of manual paperwork. So that's an area that we see a lot of interest in. And then increasingly, sustainability has come to the kind of front of mind for many of our customers because they've seen either rising fuel prices, especially uh, since the pandemic, uh, we saw fuel prices surge and they've kind of remained elevated. So that's an area where these customers are trying to figure out how do we reduce the amount of fuel spent, but also the amount of carbon emissions, because many of our customers are large publicly traded companies, or they serve publicly traded companies that are now starting to report on scope one and scope two emissions. And when you have a big vehicle fleet, you're actually emitting quite a lot of carbon. We help account for all of that and coach our customers on ways to reduce that carbon and in, you know, as a byproduct, also reduce their fuel spend. So we've seen some of our customers save over a million dollars in their first year just on fuel spend by being a little smarter about vehicle idling and even routing. Um, So those are the three big pillars, safety, efficiency, and sustainability. Yeah. And those sound like obvious reasons why your customers would use, want to use your products. But, and I'm curious how penetrated is this market? I mean, if it has all these benefits, you know, why aren't 80% of your customers already using this or, or do they, you know, what do you see as the penetration of the market out here right now? Well, in our market, some of these technologies are still viewed as new. Now, GPS tracking has been around for some time. It it really kind of came to market in the 1990s, but it was really primarily used in industries like long-haul trucking. So I would say there was awareness that GPS tracking is available as technology. There wasn't broad, widespread adoption. So maybe about half of the commercial vehicles on the road in the U.S. have GPS tracking. Video-based safety is a much newer technology because it's only recently that you're able to do things like stream HD video in real time from on the road. That really took the 4G and 5G network to make it happen. So the penetration rate of those kinds of technologies is probably somewhere in the 5 to 10% range. So it's a much more greenfield market for us. Yeah, and that actually was going to be my next question is, you know, what are some of the other technological developments in the past decade that have helped fuel Samsara and your competitors' growth? You know, outside the company's own inventions, I'm assuming, for example, 5G and the rapid rise of the hyperscalers have enabled this market. What are some of those technologies else that you see? Well, broadly speaking, it is the ability to process massive amounts of data. So the network helps with that, having great cellular coverage and, and high bandwidth means that we can pull a lot of data in from these physical operations of fields. So GPS is 
one area of video-based safety um, and kind of video data is another. And when you add all of that data up, for us, we're now at the scale where we're processing around 6 trillion data points a year. So that's a massive amount of data we're pulling in from the field. And then, like you said, the hyperscalers make us possible to process that data and do things like build AI models, do benchmarking, other kind of big data analytics, and provide an API so customers can get more value from the data. So all this data is in our cloud. Uh, it's available via open API. We have about 220 technology partners who integrate with us. And I mentioned a few of them earlier, whether it's insurance providers or payroll providers, et cetera. So all of those are enabling technologies. 20 years ago, it would have been impossible to get this volume of data off those nascent cellular networks. There wasn't the ability to do AI processing in the cloud and the customers weren't ready and their their technology partners were ready to consume all this data. So I think those three are probably the big why now factors. And then the last one I might add to that list is smartphone technology and just generally technology adoption and awareness. We're now at a point where a pretty typical field service worker or truck driver or other frontline worker is really comfortable with applications and technology and almost expects it. It's It's something where We've all now grown up with it. There's been a generational change. And now people are asking the question of, well, why are we using pen and paper? Why are we planning our routes using big map on the wall when we could be using a digital technology and using real-time data? So I think that's the other why now. And so speaking of the hyperscalers, you're platformed on Amazon AWS and you collect data from your hardware devices used in the field, whether it be, like you said, for location tracking, safety incidences, temperature, motion detection energy and fuel use. That's all valuable data you mentioned managed by Samsara's connected cloud platform. Would you talk about the role that artificial intelligence or machine learning may play in your solutions that to help customers use that data? Sure. So we use AI and machine learning in a few different ways. The most, the easiest to understand is around our video-based safety products. So I mentioned we have a, a product line that basically helps keep drivers safe on the road. Uh, we can do things like detect following distance. So how close are you to, to the car in front of you? We can do things like dis- detect distracted driving if you have one of our inward facing camera products. And that's all done by AI. It's not people, it's, it's the computers kind of keeping an eye on that. And it's all made possible by massive amounts of data and the ability to train these models. Because we do get deployed in a wide variety of scenarios and you know it's daytime, nighttime, lots of different trucks, lots of different drivers, et cetera. So that would have only been possible in the last couple of years in terms of the maturity of these AI models. So that's a big area of the AI work that we do. We also are training models behind the scenes around the equipment itself. So we can benchmark if you're driving a 2023 Freightliner in the Northeast, you're probably going to get a different miles per gallon than if you're based in Texas because of the driving conditions and the weather and and so on. So we can also train AI models uh, based on all of that data as well. And how do you think about potential competition from the cloud service providers like Amazon, AWS and Microsoft, Azure and Google Cloud? You know, because the data collected from your devices is so valuable, like you were talking about what you could do with AIML and whether it's from your devices or from your competitors, it's all being platformed on their services in the cloud. I'm wondering, are they allowed to use that data as well to improve their algorithms? And do you see them as potential competition? So we partner with the cloud providers you mentioned, and they're incredible technology partners for us because we don't need to run data centers and we can get computing capacity whenever we need it. 
In terms of who has access to the data, that's really part of our relationship with our customers. And we have that close-knit relationship in the sense that we have almost 20,000 core customers on our platform. All that data flows into our multi-tenant cloud. And that cloud, by the way, it runs on AWS today. It can also run on Azure. It can also run on Google. We're not tied to a specific service. And we actually use the best service for the job. So in terms of how we interact with the, the large hyperscalers, we're really more focused on what are the resources they can bring to us. Um, so if we need to train a big AI model, we'll look for who has the right cloud for that and who can help us do it efficiently and cost-effectively. And then separately, if we need to go rerun our routing optimization, some of these providers will come to us with new technology. But the data really sits in the Samsara cloud, and that's part of our relationship with the customer, not so much the underlying platform. And so let's talk about your competition right now and vehicle telematics. You've got Verizon Connect, Keep Trucking, that's now Motive, Omnitrax, that's now Solera, Geotab, Trimble, Platform Science, Video-Based Safety. You've got Lytix, Smart Drive, that's also now Solera, Netrodynes, Cameramatics. That's just, you know, some of them. Um, it sounds like a lot of competitors. <laughs> what differentiates you guys? Well, the competitive landscape is interesting because a lot of these companies have been around for some time. So we as a company are relatively new. We're about eight years old. We've achieved some incredible scale. We just did earnings, just, you know, uh, our Q4 earnings and end of the year at 795 million in ARR. So we've gotten to nearly billion dollar ARR scale in under a decade. A number of our competitors have been around for 20 plus years. So you mentioned Omnitrax, for example. I think they were the first at-scale company to do GPS tracking. And this was originally Qualcomm's asset. They brought the company public on the basis of that product back in the early 90s. So a lot of what we're competing against are, are point solutions that are, were good technologies at the time, but weren't able to broaden into this technology platform architecture. They don't have multiple applications on them. And many of these companies hadn't invested as heavily in R&D as we have. So I think that's the competitive landscape, more broadly speaking, is you'll see that there are point solutions for each of the categories we play in, and also each of the geographies. A number of the, the competitors mentioned are only present here in North America. We see a different competitive set in Western Europe, for example, or in Mexico, or even Canada. Yeah, thank you for that, for that overview. I believe Samsara right now is designing most of its own hardware devices that are connected to your platform. Given that so much of your solution's value might come from the data collected, as we talked about what you can do with AI and ML, I would think you would want as many devices as possible feeding into your software, whether from Samsara or not. So I'm curious if there comes a time where Samsara might want to be less in the business of offering hardware like your vehicle gateways, cameras, or sensors, and let third-party vendors supply more of those devices. How do you think about the pros and cons of that? Yeah, we're very much in a period of transition. So stepping back, the reason we even provided hardware to our customers was simply to get that data into the cloud. We, in fact, we call it the vehicle gateway because uh, we're actually taking data from all of the sensors that are already on the trucks and, and vehicles that are out there. So typically speaking, if you buy a modern truck that has probably two, 300 sensors on board, and we provide the connectivity to get that data into the cloud. And as you mentioned, this is starting to change where a number of these vehicles are now coming off the assembly line with the SIM card or cellular modem in them already. So we don't need to provide the gateway. We're, we're happy about that. For us, our focus is on the data and what you can do with it. Most of our R&D capability and capacity is deployed towards software. So we're about 80% software. And the hardware is an enabler. We don't even charge for it. So when you license our technology platform, you're really buying a license to the cloud and we will, will provide you a cloud gateway if you need it. So... I think you're right. Over the next, call it decade, we're probably going to see a pretty big shift and we want to be well positioned for that. So we've partnered with all of the major OEMs, whether it's Ford and GM on the light duty vehicle side, 
brands like Mac and Volvo and Freightliner, and then even companies like John Deere and Caterpillar who make specialized equipment. We've partnered with all of these OEMs to make sure we can get this data into the cloud and make it seamless for the customer. Right. That makes sense. You guys probably don't want to start getting into designing tractors. So it might be fun, but I think there are people who are better (laughs) at that. What role do you see Samsara playing in the market for digital twins? I cover the engineering software sector at Bloomberg Intelligence, which includes companies like Autodesk and Dassault that sell CAD software to design things like buildings and airplanes and 3D. And once those physical objects are built and in use, those same 3D models can be used as a digital twin updated in real time with data from hardware and sensors in the field. I was looking through your list of partnerships. Like you mentioned, I think you have over 200. And I didn't see any of those being engineering software vendors. So I'm curious, is there an opportunity to work with those types of vendors in creating this digital, you know, twin market? So the way that we come up with our prioritization for partnerships is by talking to our customers. So if you think about that list of 200 plus partnerships, it really was directed by our customers in terms of where do they want to take this data next? We have heard this idea of digital twins come up in many of our customer conversations recently. We recently announced a partnership with Estes, which is a very large, less than truckload freight carrier. And their CIO, Todd Florence, shared with us very early in the discussion that he wanted a digital twin of their entire operation, which is over 10,000 trucks, 20,000 drivers. They wanted to understand where all those trucks were, what the weather conditions were, where they were on their route, fuel levels, et cetera so they could improve their customer experience and better serve their end customers. So that's how our customers are thinking about digital twins is not so much understanding what's going on inside the engine of a specific truck in terms of engineering software, but more broadly, what is their end customer experience look like and how can they become smarter and more uh, predictive about where things are going to go by having a high fidelity copy of everything that's going on in their operation. So I would say our, our view is digital twins are incredibly valuable. But we may be a click up from where some of these other vendors are focused, which is not so much on an individual asset, like a big jet engine turbine or something like that, but more on the broader physical operations of these customers. Samsara IPO'd in December of 2021, and uh, it has a multi-class share structure with class A shares being publicly traded and the class B shares that have 10 times more voting rights per share, as well as some non-voting class C shares, none of which are currently outstanding, but Samsara has the ability to issue those. Uh, You and your co-founder own the majority of voting rights via your class B shares, um, and your VC backers, Anderson Horowitz and General Catalyst, also own a fair chunk of those class B shares as well. This multi-class structure can limit the influence of public shareholders. And and for this reason, S&P 500, for example, stopped including companies with multi-class share structures in its index. So I I want to ask you, you know, why has Samsara decided to go with this structure? Well, I think it's important context. Remember, this is a business that's only about eight years old. And even absent the voting structure, John and I are still very significant shareholders. In fact, I would say if you were to take our two families' holdings, we almost amount for about half of the, the shares in the company. So in that sense, the voting structure is really designed to help the company continue to grow on its on its current pace. And it does have a sunset provision in there. So at some point, we do anticipate that our shares would fold back into a single share class. But we're not in a rush to do it because we're so early in the company's development and journey. And We want to stay focused on serving our customers. Got it. And how did you guys get the ticker IoT? For our listeners, it stands for Internet of Things. It's a really good ticker. I'm curious how you guys got that one. You know, I think that was solidly a stroke of luck. We were preparing for the filing and, uh, you know, we go through the S1 drafting process and you do spend some time with the exchanges understanding which tickers are available. 
And we had a, a kind of short list. And I think IoT was sort of on the, the stretcher dream list. Let's see if it's available. And Nike came back to us and said, you know what? The ticker is available and we're happy to reserve it for you. So it was a sheer stroke of luck for us. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Going back onto the business here, um, you know, the title of this podcast is Tech Disruptors. With disruptive technology, there can, of course, be some downsides if used improperly. How do you address concerns people might have about privacy? So I would think people in particular might be concerned about video surveillance with your two-way dash cams on trucks or your site visibility cameras, you know, deployed in cities. So first of all, those are very valid concerns and we take them seriously. The way that we have approached this is by engaging our customers and also engaging the end users of these products and getting their feedback on, on what do they want to see? How do they want to see the technology used and how can it best support them? So when we think about our safety cameras, the fundamental reason they exist that the customer is buying them is to keep their drivers safe. And so the most common use case is to alert the driver if they are distracted to kind of help bring their attention back to the road. And we hear every week really from our customers of how we help prevent an accident and save lives. So when we do the math, we estimate we help prevent approximately 120,000 accidents on the road last year alone. And I'm sure that also related to some number of avoided uh, fatality accidents. So that's at a fundamental level why we do the work we do. And while there are very reasonable concerns about the inward facing cameras, the most common use case for these cameras is actually to exonerate the drivers if there is an accident, because more often than not, they're not at fault. They're neither professional drivers, they're trained, and often they get accused of being in an accident. So that idea of being able to exonerate yourself as a driver is really compelling. And then the drivers simply want to understand, well, how is this data being used? Is, is someone always watching me or how does this work? And really the AI model is running in the camera. It's the computer is doing it at the edge. So all of this is to say that by engaging our customers and the users in a transparent conversation, we're able to bring these kind of topics to the foreground and then set the right policies that are appropriate for the mission that we have. What about, you know, that makes sense with the, with the drivers. What about in the case of site visibility? How do you address those concerns? I know a couple of cities have, have used your cameras for the site visibility product you offer. So our site visibility product is very similar to what we do with the dash camera product, except it's really designed for static sites like warehouses, loading docks. You mentioned cities. So we get into those scenarios as well. And at a core level, what we're doing is taking the IP video cameras that are likely already installed. These are the you know CCTV cameras you've seen for the last two decades or so, and just connecting them all into one system so that if there is an incident, if someone got injured or hurt, you can go search through that video with lightning fast speed. Uh, we don't do things like facial recognition, so we couldn't identify you as an individual, but we could tell you if we got a report of someone, or sorry, the customer really got a report of someone was wearing a red shirt at this loading dock in Alaska and they were injured, we need to find that video footage so we can figure out what happened. Our AI can help search through hours and hours of video within a matter of seconds and surface that that video clip to the user. So that's how the technology works and that's how the, the kind of privacy and video footage side of things works as well. Yeah. And you mentioned a couple of your customers that are, you know, using your solutions. Is there one customer in particular you like to talk about that's a favorite project of yours that you've worked on or Samsara's worked on over the last eight years? That's a tough one. We have a lot of great customers and we do enjoy working across industries. 
I mentioned a, a few names. Uh, AAA comes to mind because I, I did visit them last year. And that's something that I enjoy doing as a founder and CEO is just getting to spend some time out in the field with these customers. And they're a well-known brand. I'm guessing many of your listeners are AAA members. Uh, if your car breaks down on the highway here in the US, they'll, they'll come and rescue you, whether it's a flat tire or a dead battery, that sort of thing. And so for them as an organization, they've been around for a long time and they're very customer service centered and, and focused. They were looking for a way to better um, understand where all of their drivers were and where their partners are, because sometimes they have to rely on a third party, a towing company, for example, to show up and being able to get real time visibility into that is really compelling. But at the same time, AAA didn't know how to make that happen. So it was a great partnership that we were able to spend time with them and not just show them how to dispatch in a more efficient way, but also how to keep their drivers safe because they're working these really long shifts. They're out in the rain, they're in the middle of nowhere sometimes, and they care a lot about their employee base. And so it was fun to be able to partner with them, understand how to make our product even easier to use, and then how to integrate us with all of their systems so they can better serve their customer. And AAA is a U.S. organization. Most of your revenues come from customers in the U.S., but you are expanding internationally. I think still around close to 90% of your revenues come from the U.S., but I'm curious, what countries are you in outside of the U.S., and how do you choose which ones to go into next? So the market for our products is is very broad because physical operations is vital to all of the economies around the world. It's about 40% of the world's GDP is tied up in these uh, end markets. So the appeal for our products isn't unique to the US. Uh, we have customers now in the UK and Ireland, France, Germany, the Benelux region, but also Mexico and Canada. So we've kind of focused on our kind of immediate adjacencies in terms of the end markets. And we're taking them a step at a time because I would say, while there are a lot of similarities in terms of the need for safety, efficiency, and sustainability, that's very appealing in all of these markets. There are often uh, nuances and details that matter, whether it's language, right? So when we're selling in France, for example, we want to make sure our tools and products work in French, but also regulatory, the hours of service rules in terms of labor laws and how, how long shifts are and so on are different in each of these regions. So we want to make sure we go into these new regions carefully and get that fit right and then kind of grow there. That makes sense. And we're actually coming up close to the end of our time. So I wanted to finish with kind of one big picture, maybe a fun question for you, having been in technology for a really long time. What technology or trend is, is most exciting to you over the next decade? Well, for me, it's this much broader wave of digital transformation that's happening in physical operations. I mentioned a little bit earlier these industries make up about 40% of the world's GDP, and they're really fundamental. They're the infrastructure of the planet. So whether that's food and beverage distribution or the energy utilities or even the local governments that keep our towns running, all of these organizations are vitally important. Many of them, however, are running the same way they did, you know, in the 20th century, right? A lot of pen and paper. We see a lot of, you know, old IBM mainframes that are still up and running. And it's exciting to see what could be done as all of this infrastructure modernizes and digitizes. And I think that's important, not just for the worker experience and business efficiency, but also for much bigger picture challenges we're all taking on, like sustainability. So we're finding that giving people access to this data and insights and giving them actionable workflows can really kind of change the game when it comes to energy efficiency. And it saves the customers money, but it also improves their carbon footprint. That's the kind of stuff that we're excited to be part of because it's so large in terms of its scale and potential for impact. And it's something that we can help make happen. So that's probably the big one for me is making this digital transformation happen and doing it across so many different industries around the world. Yeah, it is exciting. And um, Sanjay, I want to thank you so much for joining our podcast and speaking with me today. And thank you to our listeners. Thanks, Eileen.